Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi everyone, you're listening to the Third Coast Podcast. I'm Dennis Funk. First, I want to thank everyone who donated to Third Coast during our summer fundraiser. You have made us strong and guaranteed that this will be our best ever full season of Radio Joy. If you haven't donated yet, please don't delay. Every gift made before midnight on July 31st will be matched by our board. So that's like giving twice. While you're listening to this podcast, you can head over to thirdcoastfestival.org and heaps of thanks. We have a brand new resound for you on the podcast this week called The Behind the Headlines Show. And I'm sorry to say we had to cut one of the documentaries in the podcast due to BBC licensing limitations. It's called Strange Fruit and it's a really important part of this particular show. You can hear the whole thing over at thirdcoastfestival.org and so just search that episode. Once you find it, you can click on Extra to listen to the piece without having to search through the entire show. Um, But it's a story you really need to hear. I I know the first minute alone just gives me chills. All right, that's about enough for me. Now, here's this week's show. There is growing outrage tonight after an unarmed African-American teenager was shot and killed by police in the St. Louis suburb of Ferguson, Missouri. From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. I think the president should come to Baltimore. A, a pullover related to a license plate should not lead to lethal force and the death, as it has in this case. ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sound, sound bites, and little tidbits of audio we find all over the world. We look high and low and into our collective memories, then bring you the best of what we hear each week on ReSound. I am Barry Gordon. I am Michael Brown. I am Freddie Gray. I am Sandra Bland. Now's the time where everybody needs to say, hey, I think it's time to all come together to fix a problem and make it better. Every week, it seems like another videotape surfaces of a white police officer taking violent action against an unarmed African-American citizen. Michael Brown, Eric Garner, Freddie Gray, Sandra Bland, all names in an ever-growing list. But after the headlines fade and the videos become lost among millions on YouTube, what remains? I just want to say, you know, can we can we all get along? Can we can we get along? 
This week, stories of black lives caught in the crosshairs of injustice. These pieces look beyond the 72-point bold headlines to a more nuanced eight-point approach. Stay with us. You may not be familiar with the story of Robbie Tolan, who, on December 31, 2008, was shot by police for allegedly stealing a car in Bel Air, Texas. What makes this case different from others in the headlines was that Robbie Tolan lived to tell his side of the story. Phoebe Judge of the podcast Criminal explains. I began tonight, I was patrolling the area around the supermarket, right around my windows down, and I saw a black SUV driving a little erratically. This is police officer John Edwards speaking with investigators in the early morning hours of December 31st, 2008. Edwards was a police officer in Bel Air, Texas, right outside of Houston. And I stopped at the end of the street and watched the vehicle for a minute as it parked in front of a residence. Two males got out and they observed me looking at them, looking back at my vehicle. As I passed the vehicle, I ran the plate and it returned as a stolen vehicle. Stolen vehicle. Confirm tag. Six, nine. We're listening to what Officer Edwards heard, indicating that the SUV was stolen. Warning, potential hit. The two young men, both African-American, were now out of the car and walking up the driveway towards the house. Edwards called for backup and got out of his car. As soon as I exited the vehicle, that said, stop, please, let me see your hands. And both of them began saying, fuck, it's the police, what, why are you fucking with us, why are you messing with us? And it's just a lot of profanities, a lot of... Basically, they, they didn't think I should be here in the first place. And I, I told them I got a stolen hit. I said that the vehicle turns to be stolen. They're driving a stolen vehicle. Did you have your gun out at this point? Yes, sir. As soon as I exited the vehicle, I had my gun out. Officer Edwards ordered both men to get down on the ground. That's when the front door opened, and Marion and Bobby Tolan saw their son face down on the front porch. A second officer arrived on the scene, Sergeant Jeffrey Cotton, and he tried to move Marion Tolan towards the garage. Here's Sergeant Cotton speaking to investigators. As I'm trying to move her, she's resisting, she's not really cooperating. I take both hands and start to move her toward the garage. She turns around, says something to the effect, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but there's something to the effect of, get your hands off me. It may have been some profanity as well. I look back to her to keep moving her forward, and I hear him start to yell. I look, he gets up and starts, he may have taken a step toward me, uh, and he's yelling, get your hands off her. He's got his hand like he's digging in his waistband. At this point, I'm thinking, I can't believe this guy is really, you know, he's, that he's really got a weapon, I can't. And I see that he's standing up, I start yelling, stop. At this point, I pushed her, drew my weapon, and I'm backing up. You know, at this point, he's facing, and his arm's coming up, so I fire twice. The suspect fell backward and rolled back onto his stomach again. The female here was was screaming. I held for a minute until I felt like I could approach him. He was no longer acting threatening. Now he's just kind of laying on the ground, moaning. When you did approach the suspect, after you had fired your rounds, you did approach the suspect. Um, you checking for any weapons at that point? Yes, I did. I checked his waistband, his pockets, underneath him. Uh, and I did not find a weapon. 
Sergeant Cotton shot 23-year-old Robbie Tolan in the chest at close range. Cotton said that night and repeatedly since that he shot Robbie Tolan in self-defense. When he came up, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I can't believe this guy's you know, pulling a weapon. I mean, he's coming up and I'm thinking, don't do it, don't do it. And he's still coming and he's reaching from his waistband. And, you know, I, I mean, I've got a wife and five kids. So. That's hard to hear. But what he said is that he has a wife and five kids. Lately, we've been hearing a lot about police officers shooting unarmed black men, allegedly in self-defense. But one thing makes the Tolan story different from those we've seen in the news lately. It felt like a sharp pain at first, and then it actually hit me. It literally feels like, you know, an elephant is standing on your chest. That's the only way I can really describe it. Robbie Tolan is still alive. Not only did he survive the shooting, but he didn't even pass out. And when he tells the story, the shooting did not happen the way the officers say it did. The Tolans moved to Bel Air, Texas in the early 90s, after Bobby Tolan retired from playing Major League Baseball. He played for the San Diego Padres, Cincinnati Reds, St. Louis Cardinals, a bunch of teams. Robbie is the Tolans' only child, and back in 2008, he was following in his father's footsteps, playing for the Washington Nationals minor league team. He and his cousin Anthony had gone out to dinner and to play pool with friends. His parents were still awake when they heard him pull up just before 2 a.m. Bobby Tolan remembers that they heard his car, and then they heard yelling. The noise got a little bit louder, so then my wife and I, we went outdoors, and that's when we found out all the commotion, what it was about. Um, I was standing in front of a person who had a weapon and a flashlight. And I told him that this was my son, uh, my house, I live here, and that was Robbie's car. Because Robbie said, when I walked outside, that, Dad, they said we stole a car. And I said, no, this is my son, my house, his car. And at that point, I was taken over to my Suburban that was in the driveway at gunpoint. The Tolans continue to try to explain to Officer Edwards that the car wasn't stolen, that there must be some misunderstanding. They were both in their pajamas. Here's Marion Tolan. And I was saying, this is a big mistake. You guys are really, you've really done it now. This is a big mistake. So then I heard a voice behind me say, get against the garage. And I turned around and I saw there was another police officer behind me. And he said, I said, are you kidding me? He grabbed me by the arm and he threw me against the garage door. And he grabbed me so tightly, I had bruises on my arm. And and it was a metal garage door, so it made a just horrific sound. And it really startled Robbie, I'm certain. And so Robbie, you know, pushed himself up on his knees to the right, because we were to Robbie's right. And he said, get your hands off my mom. He didn't say it that nicely. I said, get your fucking hands off my mom. And he didn't say a word. He, he, He just looked and pulled his gun and shot me. Robbie Tolan and his mother both say he pushed himself onto his knees, but that he didn't make any movement towards Sergeant Cotton. They also say Sergeant Cotton gave no warning before firing his gun. This is not what Sergeant Cotton told investigators just four hours later. He comes up this way, and as he turns and stands, he's probably standing, you know, right around here. 
he turns and starts. He may have taken a step toward me. I see that he's standing up. I start yelling, stop. I don't remember what else. I know I yelled, stop. I don't know what else I yelled. It may have been uh, get on the ground. That's something I would normally yell or get down, something like that. Uh, I'll show you the baseball field, Bel Air baseball. We flew to Houston to meet with the Tolan family, and Marion drove us around the Bel Air neighborhood where they used to live. A lot of new development. What was it that made you want to move into this neighborhood in the first place? Because it was in the city, it was close to everything, and they had a very good baseball program, Little League, and the high school was right here. Bel Air High School has been the number one in the state many times, and so it was it was just a nice place to raise my son, I thought, you know? Bel Air is an affluent community, mostly white. In 2010, African Americans made up 1.6% of the population. The Tolans had lived there for almost 16 years, just a mile down the road from the police station. This is the house right here. Anthony was laying like this way in front of the door. Robbie was laying in front of that flower box. On the grass. On the ground, uh uh-uh. On the concrete, at the door. Robbie was at the door. He was at the door. And he shot him from right there. Robbie was right there. You were three feet away from him being shot. Yeah. Maybe five feet, but I wasn't. I mean, I was right there. I was right there. The gun was right in my face, and I saw the fire from the gun. Marion says she heard Robbie say, oh, God, and she knew he'd been hit. And I started praying for him very loudly because I wanted to make sure that he heard me. I just thought if he can hear me praying, he'll hold on, he'll fight, because I had no idea how bad, I mean, I had no idea. I couldn't see anybody, but I heard my mom praying. And I, you know, put my hand up my shirt, and I pulled out a handful of blood, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened. I heard my mom say, um, I can see smoke coming from his chest. Did did you think for a second? Oh, I'm like I'm I'm in, I'm dying. I'm gonna die. Oh yeah, I thought it was it. I thought it was I thought it was a wrap. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The Tolans weren't allowed to go to Robbie. Bobby Tolan was put into the back of one police car. Marion Tolan was put into the back seat of another. They couldn't get out, and they were screaming. Officer Edwards, the first officer on the scene, began to look into the matter of the stolen car. He typed Robbie's license plate number into his computer again. And this is when he realized he'd made a mistake. Robbie's plate was 695-BGK. Officer Edwards had typed in 696-BGK. He got it wrong by one digit. I really, really got angry once I was in the police car and I knew Robbie hadn't stolen a vehicle. And now I'm listening to the words come over the police radio, the vehicle is not stolen. And I'm looking out the window and I see a group of police officers in a huddle. Like it's like it's a quarterback and it's his teammates, like they're trying to get their story together. And um, finally, they, when they let us out, uh, Robbie had already been taken to the hospital. We watch the dash cam tapes. You can see the group of officers gathered around talking, as Bobby said. One of them is smoking a cigarette. 
The time stamps on those tapes show that the entire incident, from Officer Edwards telling the boys to get on the ground to Robbie being driven away in the ambulance, was just over 10 minutes long. When I was in the ambulance, I was telling the EMTs, I was like, you know, what about my parents? Where, where are my parents? Like, I need my parents. And they just kept pushing me down, cutting my shirt open, you know, putting the oxygen mask on me. And I was just like, no, like, get my parents. Like, I need my parents. And then, obviously, you know, they put me out. But when I came to, I remember someone squeezing my hand. I kind of opened my eyes a little bit, and I saw there was my parents. And I was so drugged up, um, I, I couldn't keep my eyes open. And I remember my mom saying, do you remember what happened? And I shook my head, yes. And she said everything, and I shook my head, yes. The way Robbie Tolan's family describes it, he and his cousin were just walking up to their home after a late-night meal. So why is Tolan now hospitalized, a police officer's bullet lodged in his liver? It's a question sparking allegations of racism in this mostly white Houston suburb of Bel Air. Sergeant Cotton was placed on administrative leave. The district attorney pressed charges, aggravated assault by a public servant. The defense argued that the shooting was justified because Sergeant Cotton said he feared for his life. The jury came back with a not guilty verdict, and Sergeant Cotton went back to work. When everybody was uh, leaving the courtroom, I just, I kept sitting there. I was uh, like, like, no, 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 that's not what happened. Like, okay, now, now, now where's the real verdict? And then my dad, you know, hit me on the leg. He said, you know, come on, let's go. And we, we went into a, a courtroom directly across the hall from the one we were in. I, as soon as they closed the door, I lost it. I lost it. I was uh, bawling. Um, I just couldn't believe it. You know, he was, you know, I think it says a lot when, when you have the opportunity to hold somebody accountable and you just don't. At this point, the family filed a civil lawsuit arguing that the Bel Air Police Department racially profiled Robbie and mistreated the family because of their race. And the Bel Air Police Department offered the family money to settle the case out of court. I knew that there'd be no settling. I would not settle because I knew that I would not ever shut up about what had happened. And when there's a settlement, it's really hushed money. You can't talk, you can't disclose this, you can't disclose that. And and that, that was not going to be a part of my life. A judge dismissed their suit on the basis of what's called qualified immunity. Qualified immunity makes it really hard to sue a police officer. Police officers are presumed to be legal and justified in their use of force unless you can somehow show that they violated your constitutional rights. It's a really high burden of proof. And when the judge dismissed our case based on qualified immunity, saying that the officer was doing his job, we had 30 days to file an appeal. And I, pro- I didn't have the money to pay this attorney, but I promised him if you would take this case and do the best job you can, I'll sell my house and pay you. And we put our house on the market immediately. They appealed their case to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which governs Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, saying, we do think our constitutional rights have been violated and don't let the other judge dismiss the case. But the Fifth Circuit rejected the appeal, also citing qualified immunity. My wife has fought every step of the way. Every time we got turned down, we went. To, she went to the next step. That step got turned down, we went to the next step. I'm a, I, I felt that Bel Air figured that we've got some black people here, 
they're going to go away. You know, we've been, he's been proven not guilty. It's going to die down, but they don't know my wife. In October of 2013, they appealed again, this time to the U.S. Supreme Court. About 10,000 petitions are submitted to the Supreme Court every year. They only take on about 80, and they took the Tolan's case. In May of 2014, all nine justices agreed unanimously, which is remarkable in its own right, that the Fifth Circuit was wrong to dismiss the Tolan's case. It's called an error correction. Basically, the justices criticized the Fifth Circuit for only considering Sergeant Cotton's version of events and not what Robbie and Marion say happened. So they will get to tell their story to a jury. I think the real hero in all of this is Marion Tolan. This is attorney Benjamin Crump. The Tolans hired him to represent them in the new trial, which will take place in September. Over the past few years, Crump has worked on a number of cases involving unarmed black men shot by white police officers. He represented the families of Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown. All America is looking at these cases of alleged excessive force by police officers, and they're saying, will there ever be justice uh, handed down to the people of color, the unarmed people of color who are getting shot by these police officers? And Robbie Tolan is going to be a huge matter to answer that question. In all those other cases, they died, but Robbie Tolan lived to tell, and that may make all the difference. And we absolutely believe, as Miss Tolan has said about her son over and over again, God left him here for a reason. Robbie is 29 now. The gunshot wound and the pain, which is lasting and sometimes vicious, have pretty much ended his baseball career. He does some coaching and lives at home. Robbie says he misses baseball, especially now when his friends have gone off to spring training. I have to wake up every day and choose to be happy and choose not to be resentful, especially when, you know, a lot of my teammates are now in the major leagues and, you know, I got guys, uh, you know, calling me all the time and, and, and um, coaches that I still talk to and that still check on me. Um, it knocked me off the path that I thought I was supposed to be on. But now I'm on this new path. And um, that's, um, you know, that's something that I have to, to, to accept. Robbie's parents say he's different now. He's quiet. He gets depressed. And of course, he's still got that bullet lodged in his liver. Every morning when he goes to the bathroom and takes a shower, you know, he's got to see the big scar from his chest all the way down below his belly button and knowing the bullets there, he's got to live with cotton the rest of his life. The new trial date is slated for September 14th. The Tolans told us again and again that they're fighting this hard, selling their house to pay for the appeals, appealing those appeals, not just for themselves, but for the victims who didn't survive and can't dispute what the police say happened. As for what the police say, we reached out to Sergeant Cotton for this story, but he told us in an email that he can't comment on pending litigation. We got the same response from everyone we contacted at the Bel Air Police Department. Sergeant Cotton still works there. In the years since the shooting, he's been promoted to lieutenant. Six nine five BGK. 
first aired on the podcast Criminal, produced by Lawrence Borer and criminal host Phoebe Judge. Let us know what you think of today's show. If you have an opinion, and we hope you do, write and let us know. Our email address is resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Of course, there's also Facebook and Twitter. The speed with which stories of racial violence fade from the public eye. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Is astonishing often because they're pushed aside in the wake of newer, grislier stories. So it's fair to ask, how will time treat the current rash of crimes? Which voices will be remembered and which ones will be forgotten? Producer Nate DeMeo explores that very notion in this episode of his podcast, The Memory Palace. We've forgotten James Powell and how he was there that day in 1964 while the kids were hanging out on the stoop on East 76th Street, up the block from Wagner Junior High, just kicking it after a day at summer school, like they always did. And how the man, the white man who managed the building, fixing radiators, unclogging drains, snapped that day, and took a hose, and sprayed the black and Puerto Rican kids on the stoop, called them dirty n****ers, said he'd wash them clean, and how the kids didn't take it, started throwing trash can lids in the bottles of soda they'd been sitting drinking on the stoop just a minute before, back when they were just kicking it after school. And how James Powell, African-American, 15 years old, was walking by with a couple of buddies and saw it all, and how they chased the man into the vestibule of the building after he'd retreated out of the range of the bottles and the trash can lids. And the boys yelled at him for a couple minutes and then left. And as James stepped back out onto the stoop, that summer smell of sudden water on hot bricks still hanging in the July air. He was laughing. A teenager puffed up after shouting down a grown man. He took a step and was shot three times by an off-duty lieutenant with the NYPD, a white cop who had been at a fix-it shop next door getting his radio repaired when he'd heard the shouting and the bottles and the trash can lids. We've forgotten James Powell's mother, Annie, and how she threw herself in the coffin at the funeral home, just like they do in the movies, because that's how it really feels sometimes. And her son had just been killed, one day after school. The city caught fire, six nights of riots, in Harlem, Bed-Stuy. We've forgotten James Powell. We've forgotten Odessa Bradford, 
an African-American woman dragged out of her broke-down car by some Philly police later that same summer. But people in Philadelphia remember the riots that ensued. We've forgotten Arcelis Cruz, a 20-year-old Puerto Rican immigrant shot by police after they asked him to come here, but instead he ran. Some in Chicago remember the riots in 1966. We've forgotten Perfecto Bondolan, a lettuce picker from the Philippines who met a girl named Esther Schmick and fell in love. The cops arrested them. They didn't believe him. Assumed he'd kidnapped her, until the girl's mother said he was a nice boy, said they were engaged. The cops let him go, but the mob came anyway. And Watsonville, California rioted for six days. We've forgotten Eugene Williams, swimming in the segregated side of the beach in Chicago, one of the bathers who was hit by rocks thrown by a white man on the sand, but the only one who drowned afterward. We remember the riots of 1919. We've forgotten Robert Bandy, an African-American soldier who asked some policemen why they were arresting a woman in the lobby of the Braddock Hotel in Harlem one night in 1943, and they shot him, and the city burned. We remember the fire, but we forget the match. We've forgotten James Powell. We've Forgotten James Powell was produced by Nate DeMeo for his podcast, The Memory Palace. In 2009, Alex Landau, an African-American man who was adopted by a white couple as a child, was severely beaten by the Denver police after a routine traffic stop. Later, he brought his mother to the StoryCorps booth to put his account on record, lest it be forgotten. And a warning, this piece contains strong language. I was about four years old, and a little girl on the playground came up to me and said, not all white kids like to play with black kids. You grabbed her and told her, you don't talk to my son like that. Yeah, the one that hurt me the most. You were eight years old and outside on a really very hot day, covered from head to toe with a long sleeve shirt. And I didn't understand why you were dressed like that. And you said, because you didn't want your skin to get any darker. We never talked about race growing up. I just don't think that was ever a conversation. I thought that love would conquer all and skin color really didn't matter. I had to learn the really hard way when they almost killed you. Yeah. I was 19 years old. I had picked up a friend and I noticed that we had red and blue lights behind us. We were being pulled over. The officer explained I had made an illegal left turn and to step out of the car. So I get out of the car first. He pats me down. And then he goes around to the passenger side and pulls my friend Addison out of the car. Addison is white. Yeah, Addison is white. And he had some weed in his coat pocket. So he gets placed in handcuffs. I figure that everything's okay. I'm not in handcuffs. I've already been patted down. Plus, there's three officers on the scene. And I had never had a negative interaction with police in my life. So I ask them, can I please see a warrant before you continue the search? And they grabbed me and began to hit me in the face. I could hear Addison in the background yelling, stop, leave him alone. I was hit several times, and I remember gasping for air and spitting and blood flying across the grass. And then I hear an officer shout out, he's reaching for a gun. I immediately started yelling, no, I'm not. I'm not reaching for anything. And I remember an officer say, if he doesn't calm down, we're going to have to shoot him. I could feel the gun pressed to my head. I expected to be shot. And at that point, I lost consciousness. 
I woke up to a multitude of officers just standing around me laughing. One officer was like, where's that warrant now, you fucking nigger? It took 45 stitches to close up the lacerations in my face alone. How did it feel when you got the call that I was in jail? I was in the middle of teaching a second grade class. All she said was, you'd better come see about your son. She didn't say anything about what kind of shape you were in. What about when you finally saw me? All I remember is involuntarily screaming. That was the first time I had cried the entire time I had been in there. And it wasn't my injuries that hurt. It was just seeing how it devastated you. My whole worldview changed that night. Yeah. For me, it was the point of awakening to how the rest of the world is going to look at you. I was just another black face in the streets. And I was almost another dead black male. This story was produced by Judd Esty Kendall for StoryCorps. In 2011, Alex Landau was awarded a $795,000 settlement by the city of Denver. Two of the police officers involved have since been fired for uses of excessive force not related to this incident. In this country, voices are silenced all the time by racial violence. We heard Robbie Tolan and Alex Landau's stories because they survived to tell them. What stories do you have? What stories need to be told? Talk to us. Our address is resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and even, dare I say, snail mail. Our address is 848 East Grand Avenue, Chicago, Illinois, 60611. We want to hear from you. We've also assembled a list of related stories. You can find them on our website at thirdcoastfestival.org. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. Today's episode was produced by Dennis Funk and curated by Johanna Zorn and Sarah Geis of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear more than 1,500 outstanding documentaries from around the world and subscribe to our podcast. Support for ReSound comes from Emma, a web-based email marketing and communication service helping businesses and nonprofits manage their email campaigns and online surveys in style. More at myemma.com. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Agadino Foundation, the Menaki Foundation, and the National Endowment for the Arts. The Third Coast Festival is supported in part by a grant from the Illinois Arts Council Agency. Special thanks to our many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. The Third Coast Festival, now an independent arts organization, was originally founded at WBEZ Chicago. ReSound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.
You've been listening to the Third Coast Podcast. If you like what you heard today, leave us a review on iTunes, send us an email, or let us know through Facebook or Twitter. You can also support us with a donation at thirdcoastfestival.org. As always, thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>